right, so we can't go on watching this lie because I got 60 questions in here. No. Maybe, maybe no more than 40. What I talk about on the TV, on the screen, uh, was recorded about 10 years ago. A lot more. The Four Noble Truth, um, I have hundreds of lectures on YouTube if you're interested. And you can continue with the second, the Four Noble Truth, you can continue with the second, the third, the fourth. Here's my first question. Why two hands above table to eat? Thank you for the meal. The question is, why did we use two hands to eat? I'll show you how people eat when they use one hand. Well, you use one hand under the table and they grab foot up. Just, this is how they do it. When I'm sitting in here, I saw this movement all the time. I get bored by that. When you're eating, you're like, a, you're like moving your body like that. And sometimes I ask, well, what's the problem with the other hand? I mean, um, why do you have to adjust your body to your hand, whereas use your, your skillful hands to adjust it to the mouth? When you use a knife and fork, do you do, do it like this? You cut it up, your pork chop, whatever. You, well, it's easy. Just bring it to the mouth. Why do you have to bring your mouth to the hands? Well, nothing about religion. Let's forget about religion because we can't always talk about religion. Um, in this session, throw out that word religion. It's dirty. We don't need religion in here. Throw it out. We just use common sense, right? Uh, I'm not converting anybody in here unless you trespass but you have permission to trespass. You know how, what kind of sign I put on the front gate? People used to say, uh, no trespassing. Trespassers will be prosecuted. You know what I put? No trespassing. Trespassers will be converted. <laughs> so people know people will come in because they stand the risk of being converted. So don't worry about it. We're not gonna convert you. We just want to have enlightenment. We just want to have understanding. Uh, so, why use both hands? It's easier to use hands to, to eat. Humans have both hands, and some people appreciate their hands more than others. Uh, I read in an article, and I even saw it on, on, on the website, that there are people without hands. They have to use their legs, their, their feet, to fit in their mouth, and how much they appreciate using their hands. And we've got hands, and we never appreciate using them, and we want to use our body to adjust with the hands by making this motion. You know, when you, you know, we believe that when you're eating, you don't need to move your body so much. Your hands are very skillful, very skillful in doing that, you know, so that's the reason why. Nothing about religion. Of course, we have a religious connotation to it, but let's, as, I said, as I said, throw away that. Just use common sense. Um, that's the reason why we're using both hands. And you know what? When I come to think of it, we, living beings, usually do not appreciate what we've got. We have hands, we have legs, we have our senses, and usually we misuse our senses. And I always, I always like to quote that story. And if you have 
listen to the story, don't get bored. I like to use that story. I read Helen Keller's autobiography, and I read an article which she wrote. I really appreciate reading it, and that is, give me three days to see. Helen Keller was blind, was deaf, was, couldn't talk, couldn't see, couldn't listen. She lived in a world that's without senses. And in her article she wrote, if I can be given three days to see, I really appreciate it. Most of my friends, when they came back from a morning trail in the woods, they came back and how I appreciate taking a morning trail in the woods. And I usually ask the question, um, what do you see in the woods? And usually the, the answer is like this, well, nothing in particular. And Helen Keller said, how could you have walked in the woods for two hours enjoying Mother Nature and you have nothing particular that you have seen, nothing particular that you would be talking about? Do people appreciate Mother Nature? Appreciate the petals of the beautiful flowers, appreciate the birds singing, the trees, you know, the, the, the pine trees, all these beautiful animals. And I come to a conclusion, most people don't because they have their senses. They don't use them properly. You know how they use the senses? How do we use our eyes? We want to use our eyes to see sensuous things, see things that, that agitate the, the sensuous feeling in the mind. And people like to, in the sound, people don't like criticism. They like to listen to praises. They hate criticism. And when it comes to the tongue's taste, you know how we use our tongue sense? We like to taste the flesh of animals. We like to taste beef, pork, fish, chicken, and we don't care about people killing them. We bought them from a supermarket anyway. I've never seen people killing chickens. Oh, if they kill chickens, I can't, I can't stand it because they're so cruel, yet I like chicken fry things. You know, you see, you see the inequalities? And I like sirloin steak but I haven't been to a slaughterhouses where I see cows being slaughtered. Humans are like that. They act on one thing, they talk about one thing, and they think another way. This is just my first question. <laughs> I still have 40 more to do. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna linger on. But if you want to know how we all should appreciate what we've got, you got your eyes, your ears, your senses, your, your sense organs, your health, Use your senses to do something meaningful. Don't use your senses on addiction, on things you shouldn't be seeing, on things you shouldn't be listening, on things you shouldn't be attaching to. Use them intelligently. Now read that article, Give Me Three Days of Light by Helen Keller. It's an article that's about six, seven pages long. You can get it from the website. It tells you how you appreciate senses that you have. All right, next question. Did Buddha speak about whether there is any karma incurred if you eat meat you buy that was killed, not by you, but by someone else? Yes. Uh, I just mentioned. You eat meat, uh, but meat are from slaughterhouses. They slaughter animals for the food, and you eat them. You're not directly slaughtering them, but you're indirectly supporting the slaughtering of them. So that is killing. It's just you're not directly killing it uh, because you, 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 you can buy them from, from supermarket. 
but that's killing. So in other words, you bring karma, but not direct strong karma, indirect weaker karma. Uh, but you still carry that karma. And when you carry that karma, you can't get away with it. You know what is karma? If we can define it generally, karma is accumulation of your action, your speech, and your thought of previous lives and of this life. It's an accumulation. And if we can use a common English, you know, common sense English, we say energy. This energy has been built up in you. Basically, the nature of this energy, karma, has three categories. Wholesome, unwholesome, and neutral. Sometimes, it's not just bad karma that you're building up. You could be very kind, very considerate, you are very helpful, you're building up good karma. You could be very responsible, or you, you, you are very careful, you know, that's good karma. So karma is not just in a bad connotation, karma could be good, you know. So it's good karma, bad karma, and neutral karma. Whatever you have done in the past, you know, the, the Buddhist teaching uh, says that our time horizon is not just of the present. We also have a past. And that past is not just yesterday, last year, two years, three years. That past is of past lives too. The Buddhist time horizon is really unlimited, you know, not just of, of your, this life. There's a previous life. So you, in your previous life, you already have accumulated a lot of energy that has been brought forward in this life. And that energy, because you have built up that energy, would be responsible for what you experience in this life. For example, if you're in your previous life, you've been building up a lot of unwholesome energy. You've been killing, lying, sexual misconducting, you know, cursing. You did all kinds of atrocities and you're building up a lot of bad karma. You carry that kind of energy. Nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with Buddha. Nothing to do with your parents. Nobody else. You did it yourself. You did all these things. You carry this energy. Nobody gave it to you. It's you did it. You carry this in this life and you experience the causality of this energy. You walk your own destiny because nobody else did your energy for you. You build up your own karma. Watch your karma. Karma's from thought. Every thought has energy, not just action. Every word has energy. The thought is energy. So the Buddhist teaching pay very much attention to thought. It's not just action. If you have a bad thought, that's a cause for bad action. If you have a good thought, cause for good action. If you follow this logic, whatever you're doing, always building up good energy. Why do you build up bad energy? Because you experience bad results. Why don't you build up energy of compassion, of helpfulness, of responsibility, of being hardworking? You build up your own energy. You are the creator yourself of your own life. If you have been building up bad energy yesterday or in your previous life, don't remorse on it. Don't, don't agonize on it. Start anew. Change. Build up good energy. Forget about the past. Don't attach to the past. Forget about it because you can't change the past. 
you, your past, you already have built up the bad energy. Can you, you can't change the past. Buddha cannot do anything about it. If there's a God, God cannot do anything about it. Because if a God is omnipresent or omnipotent, He would have changed it for you. You don't even have to ask. If God is so powerful, He would change all your bad energy, right? Logic. If that is really a God that creates you, He has the power to change your energy, but He hasn't got that power. If God can change your energy, there wouldn't be any people suffer. Logic. That's logic. That's common sense. Next question. Could you tell us about the method or no method followed by this temple? Is it pure land, chant? Could you explain the benefit of this method? That takes one full semester. <laughs> or even four years of university to explain that. So what are we taking? We are a combination of pure land and chant. Not just meditation, a combination of meditation and the pure land approach. What is the pure land approach? What is meditation? Oh, as I said, maybe a, a four-year course. Not just the words, not just reading the books. You have to practice it. You have to walk it. Not just about theory, not just about, oh, there's some books, or there's some videos you have to see. It's about you practiced it. There's no one such thing as one holy scripture. The Holy Scripture is just words. It itself, by itself, is not holy enough to get you out from samsara. But it points you the holy way. You have to walk that path. If I tell you to go to Sunshine Coast, I need to, to tell you where to take a ferry. You gotta go to Sun, you gotta go to Nanaimo, you gotta go to buy the ticket, you gotta drive there, I gotta give you a map. I can't just go there. You can't just read the map by going there. You have to drive, you have to walk, you have to buy, you have to walk the path. Not just believing in words. Next question. Our instructions for meditation indicated that meditation is work. The three adjustments as these, the same for walking meditation as for seated meditation. Yeah, seated meditation and walking meditation is the same thing. Meditation is just not sitting there. Meditation is not just sitting meditation. Meditation is what? Meditation is walking, sleeping, reclining. As a matter of fact, meditation is every second, every thought. Every thought is meditation, not just when you are sitting. Every thought is purification of your mind, not just when you are sitting. You can say, I'm meditating now, I'm purifying my mind now, but when I drive out to, to, to the parking lot, I say, why are you driving like that? You don't honk before you take over lane, take the lane. Oh, get lost. I drive, I, I drive better than you. You start to get into confusion of mental afflictions. Meditation is every thought, not just of sitting, of walking, of sleeping. Every, every second is meditation. If we, we go the philosophy way, meditation is mind. It's about the mind. The mind is every instant counts. Every instant of your thought, you know it. You know every instant of your thought. That means you put your thoughts under control. What happens if you can put your thoughts under control? 
That means you know your mind. What happens if you know your mind? When you know your mind, there's nothing that you would not be successful in. In other words, whatever the mind can conceive, the mind can do. The mind is the most powerful. It leads you to heaven, it also leads you to hell. Which way you want? Not God. Nothing to do with God is your own mind. If God can lead you to heaven, He would have done it now. You don't have to go through all this eating, you know, all this sleeping. <laughs> you don't have to go through that. Right now, in heaven. Because the Buddha cannot. You've got to walk yourself. Do it yourself. Nobody can do it for you. Next question. What are your thoughts on freedom? I disagree that there is suffering. Life is sufficient if you truly are not free or are free already but don't recognize how free you are. But most people are free and don't necessarily suffer very much. You disagree that life is suffering and you say, so does that mean that life is not suffering? Or life is suffering if you truly are not free but are free already but you don't recognize how free you are. That means I'm very free uh, but I just don't recognize how free I am. Depends on your definition of freedom. Uh, the definition of freedom could be very restricted and the definition of freedom could be unlimited. Can you be free from not being sick? Cannot. Can you be free of not dying? Cannot. Can you be free of not having a divorce? You cannot. Can you be free of not having an accident? You cannot. There's so many things that you cannot be free of, right? Can you be free of eating something poisonous and you don't get sick? Can you be free of not crying? So there's so many things that we cannot be free of. But you say, yes, I can be free of something, yes. If you can say, I, psychologically, I feel free, then I'm free. I don't care about whether it's suffering or not. When I feel free, I'm free. You can think whatever you want, you know. If I'm a prisoner and I live in the prison and I haven't gone out to the world, I say, I am free because I still can move around in my jail, in my cell. Oh yeah, you can still move around. But you cannot walk beyond the boundary of the prison. And if you think, I'm satisfied not walking outside the boundary because I don't know there's outside boundary. I'm living in here all my life and I feel free. Oh, go ahead to feel free. You are free. But we know that you are still imprisoned. There's so many things we cannot be free of. If you want that definition of a freedom, well, that I, I can't limit your, 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 your thinking. Uh, most people are free and don't necessarily suffer very much. There's a saying. Everybody said he's free, but I can see chains everywhere. There's a saying like that. French Revolution, Louis XVIII, there was a, a saint who said that. If you think that in jail is free, I, who, who, can, who can say no to you? If you think, I don't want to get out of prison, you have a choice. That's freedom itself. You have a choice to choose. You have a choice to choose to be in the prison. You have that freedom. But I think, the way I think, the more intelligent people would know there's a boundary outside prison. But if you, are, you want to confine yourself to thinking that I am free in my prison, who can say no? Who can say no? Be what you want. 
I can't go on with these questions because too much time is required. How do I begin to learn more about Buddhism? Where do I start? You got the internet, there's so much there. But if you want to listen to, to some really Caucasian uh, monks talking about Buddhism, there are a lot of good Caucasian monks who can give excellent lectures. A Jabram, excellent lectures on, on the Buddhist teaching, and Eja Surapano, Eja Sumeto, Eja Cha, lots of, lots of people who can give excellent lectures on, on, on YouTube. Get in them. They will give you enlightened lectures. Is it possible for God to supersede karma? You think logically, huh? If there is a God to supersede karma, you don't even have to talk about karma. Because God will wash away karma. There's no more karma. How can you say there's someone who will wash away karma and he's better than karma? If God can supersede or erase karma, there's, there wouldn't be karma. So why do you still have to talk about karma? You understand what I mean? You, 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 you give a nod, so you understand what I mean. Okay, next question. What is the reason for the Buddhists to have the big belly? <laughs> what is the reason for, for the Buddha to have the big belly? The big belly is for putting in your grievances, for putting in your obstinacy, for putting in your unreasonable criticism, for putting in your bias, for putting in your views. That's the purpose of the belly. Anything you talk about, you put it in. That's the reason why it's getting big. Yours doesn't have a big belly because you don't allow those put in your belly. But the Buddha allow everything un unendurable, intolerable to put in there. He tolerate it, he swallow it. You don't swallow it. You rebuke, you denounce, you yell out, you curse. But he doesn't. Any unfair treatments, he put it in. That's the reason why it becomes so big. <laughs> to follow the Buddha's teaching, do we have to give up eating meat at all? So you still like meat. <laughs> Some say even eating chicken eggs is not vegetarian and involves get to be born baby chicken. Do you agree with what some so-called vegetarians are claiming? Well, I am a vegetarian and I don't really have time to think about, you know, all these things about who should say what and who should do. I just do what I think is right and I don't really care what you say about me. Something I like, to, something I think I'm right. I don't care about. Oh, you'll be a chicken, and uh, 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 are you eating chicken eggs and chicken or egg? Uh, uh, what comes first? And uh, um, uh, if, if 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 chicken comes first, then how come we got egg? And if egg, egg comes first, how come we got chicken? I don't have time for that. You know, <laughs> I only have time to know more about it. I don't have time to argue about what comes first, chicken or egg. And would he be reborn as a baby chicken? I don't really care. <laughs> you mean by caring whether he will become be baby chicken or not, I save him? No. I will only aggravate him if I continue to talk to him. Sometimes in talking to people, you don't intend to con I don't intend to convert you, you know. If I have that intention that I want to convert you, then it's not right. 
because you have your own intelligence. Nobody would, can change you unless you change it yourself. Next. As I understand, stealing the mind is nirvana. As the lesson today, so can you achieve it while alive? The Buddha can. Is nirvana only by dying physically? Well, these are good questions, but these questions require time to answer. Uh, there's two kinds of nirvana. Nirvana of this life and nirvana, ultimate nirvana after this life is shut off. Uh, it's after you get rid of this life. As I always give an example about life, every one of us is living in a hotel. Our body is like a hotel. Some people have a five star, being a rich guy. Some people have a two star, three star, four star, and some people, as I said, have bed and breakfast, nothing else, you know. Some are poor, some are rich, some are healthy, some are unhealthy. Everybody is like a hotel. You lived in it. And you change another hotel in another life, in another form, in another reincarnation. But it's always the same person who check in and check out. That's the same person. You're changing, keep on changing form. When we are changing form, that means we still carry the karma forward, life after life after life after life. And nirvana is no more changing. You liberated yourself from form. No more suffering, no more changing. If after this life, after this hotel, you don't live in another hotel anymore, you are purified of your, your karma, you don't need a hotel. We still need this hotel if we still are involving in bad karma. When you're not involved in bad karma, you don't have this hotel anymore. And the time would come when you become the Buddha, you don't need this hotel. Everybody can, can become the Buddha. How many Buddhas are there? Billions of Buddha already in the past. There will be in the future billions of Buddha. You are a future Buddha. You are future Buddha when you shut off this hotel. You don't need this hotel anymore. You're always in that nirvana state when there's no more lust, no more malice, no more delusions, no more karma. You can walk it out yourself. You can do that yourself. You become the Buddha. Next question. Three more. I have been on my own for 20 years here in Canada. Now my parents immigrated here, living with them. I have a lot of suffering. What should I do? <laughs> what should I do? It's quite normal that we have a lot of suffering. It's good that I personally consider this question has more enlightenment in it than the previous question about not having any suffering at all. You recognize suffering. That's the first step. A lot of people don't even know they are in suffering. They thought they're happy. I'm happy, I'm going on an, uh, I'm going to Alaska cruise next week and having a fun. Now, what was that? That's happy. How can you say there's suffering? But after the cruise, what happened? We don't know. What happened during the cruise? On Titanic, on that moment when they stepped on Titanic, everybody wanted to have happiness, enjoying the luxuries of Titanic. What would they think about suffering until it's sinking down? They know, oh, I know that monk talk about suffering. It's too late. It's too late. It's too late. 
the water is getting all too late. And this lady grabbing out the hand. And this hand not touching each other no more. What is the, the Buddhist symbol and the definition of success? The definition of success, I don't know, everybody defines success in a certain way. Success on what? On your job? You know, what's the definition of success on your job? What is the definition of success as a school teacher, as a, as, as a nurse? You know. First of all, the Buddhist teaching said, be responsible for your success in whoever you are. If you're in a family, be a successful father, successful parent. Look after your kids, be responsible. When you say so you have a family of three or four, and you're, you're, you're a dad, and you're always looking for happiness, and the kind of happiness is not making your family happy, you want to look for another relationship, you want to spend your money on a boat, on the luxuries, you don't care about your children, you define that as happiness? That is the responsibility. So success is where you can successfully meet your role. Everybody is role-playing. You're playing your role as a father, be a successful father. You're playing a role as a mom, be a successful mom. Play your role right first. Don't talk about anything else. Do I have a chance to buy some of the DVDs that you have? Yeah, upstairs. I got lots of DVDs for all these lectures. And if you want to have them free, get to YouTube. Most of them are on YouTube. All right, I've answered all these questions briefly. And do you have any questions? You can raise your hands. You don't even have the right. Any, any questions? Yeah, Master. Yeah? Yeah, I, I'm very impressed. King from the first session, you told us whatever we do, we do it with 100%. Yeah. Yeah, that is maybe... Mm. That's the meaning of meditation, mindfulness. When you, whatever you're doing, if you have the right view, right thought, always aim at 100%. Always aim at trying to perfect it. That's called the right efforts. You always apply your best efforts onto it. And I always remind some of the workers who, who always come to me to complain about their companies, about their boss, about their supervisors. And uh, they usually say, oh, they're only paying me $11 an hour and a minimum wage. And they gave me a raise of $12 uh, last month. And look, they gave me only $12. And then they expect me to, to, to work $15 an hour, $16 an hour. I said, well, change your attitude. If your boss gives you $13 an hour, if you put in an effort that is worth $25 in no time, I can see a $25 guy in you. Because you've been calculating. You're not working perf perf to perfection. You are always limiting your ability to $13. Whereas you release yourself. I don't care how much they pay me, but I want perfection. I want to do it 100%. I want to do it as if you're paying me $25. I'm not calculating. I'm trying my best. Sooner or later, you'll get $25 an hour because you're working towards that. The same applies to everything you do. Always be a good mom, good dad, good brothers and sisters, good friend, always striving for better and better achievements. Uh, don't be calculating. Don't stop at where you think you are. 
and don't expect others to change. Don't expect your boss to pay you $25. You are getting 13 and your boss thinks that you're 13. Your boss won't think in such a way that I give you 25 then you will get me 25. If that kind of employee who always asks for more before they contribute more, that's not the right employee. The employee who is not calculating, who wants to contribute more, you love them. You love those people. If you're working with people who are calculating, they will never be successful. Bad parents. Oh, I see what you mean. Say, that parents come back is suffering because of his interaction with the parents? Yeah. Endurance. You get a big belly. There's a saying, the reason why we come together as brothers and sisters, as husband and wife, as some relationships you have, you come back with a liability. You come back to clear up the debt. So in other words, if you say, I'll give you an example, it's your uh, husband and wife. Why did your husband hate you? And why did your husband uh, have another relationship? Why did your husband treat you so nice when you were at courtship and now he's treating you very badly? Because somehow there was some unending business previously and he came back to get you. He came back to get you to repay your love, repay your money. He came back because it's not balanced. The general ledger, the ledger, liability and asset is not balanced because you still owe him. Parents also. Your parents come back because you still owe him in previous life something you got to repay. And always think in such a way that you're repaying a debt. A monetary debt or an emotional debt. Sometimes a debt could be monetary. So in other words, you, you borrow $60,000 from that person and you didn't repay it. And in this life, you became his son. And he was, he was the father. And he got old. You have to repay him. You have to live up to his standard. You have to give him the money. You have to treat him nicely because he still have to get the $60,000 back from you. You haven't paid up yet. So once that paid up, the debt is clear. And that's about monetary. It's about emotions. You mistreated him. You are unfaithful to him. In this life, he came back again, he'll be unfaithful to you. You've been unfaithful to him in previous life. And now he come back to get you, he became very unfaithful to you. He aroused the jealousy in you. You feel very agonizing because he went away with another boyfriend. He didn't love you anymore. He used to love you so much, now he didn't love you anymore. Because you, he already have got back. No more debt. So he's gone. So it's always, if we can use an example, uh, a liability and asset situation, a debt, a loan, and a receivable situation. He's a, it, it, you are receivable. He'll need to receive something from you. And he is a loan to you, coming back to get even. So you must be willing to give back. I owe you that much in my emotion. I owe you that much in, my, in the money. I, I need to repay you. So you don't repay with vengeance with hatred, with aversion. You repay gladly because you have borrowed from him. You owe him. Pay him back. So you should be willingly treating him nice. He's bad to you, but you still treat him nice. You don't build up this hatred. You just repay. And by the time he's all got, he's got all repay, he will be gone. So don't build up the suffering in you. 
your son is mistreating you, your husband, your wife is mistreating you, well, don't get mad because you mistreated him before. And now he got back to you. That's, don't, don't really matter. Just give, give. Always give. Don't be stingy in giving. Always give out. Giving back to him. And you, you'll feel more free. You'll be feel, feeling more happy. Just give it back. Okay, so if the parents treat you badly, you are suffering, don't suffer anymore. Just pay. Pay them and pay them and pay them. One day he will know. Once the debt is all paid up, all of a sudden it becomes too kind to you. You paid up all the debt, all of a sudden it changed. As, a, as I said, change yourself first. Don't aim at changing your obstinate parents. Change yourself. Accept it. Don't attach to it. Accept it and give it, give it, give it. You'll feel happier if you give. If you think about giving, giving, and enduring, and enduring. All right? Any? Yes? This is a natural process. Say, if this wife is being abused by the, by the husband, the husband continues to abuse, and the wife continues to resist, they continue to fight, you hit me one, I hit you one. One for one, one for one. You resist. And somehow it gets worse and worse, but if the wife knows that it could be because of a previous year's karma, not just accept, he would try to explain it. Because internally, he would know that this previous life, I could have treated you the same in my previous life. Then that wife would be less agonizing. He would be reacting in such a way that he know that he has something to pay. So subconsciously, he would not be agonizing that much. Because at one time, of course, he would be defending. He would be defending. But in the defending of it, his mind becomes more peaceful. So in other words, he's treating him better by being peaceful than by being resistant. He built up agony himself. When I say accepting, accepting, and giving, and giving, he's giving out compassion. He's giving out forgiveness. He's giving out something that the husband may not expect. And by giving, and giving, and giving, he's reducing his debt. And one day, all of a sudden, they find that, oh, the husband will say, my wife has been so good to me. I've been hitting him so much. I've been treating him so badly. And yet, he is still loving me. And one day, he will change. But their husbands will never change. If those husbands who are still obstinate never change, hitting enough, he'll go. So if you accept, 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 you lessen the period of suffering. Because you pay, pay, pay. Let's give an example of owing $60,000. Every time when he requests more and more, request back the money, you only gave him $10, $20, that lasts a long time. If every time you give him 5000 here, 2000 there, you accept more, you give him more and more, you easily pay up the debt, and then one day he'll go, and one day another of your good individual will show up, will become your husband. So in other, in other words, you lessen your time of suffering. You may not know about it, but you're lessening at the time of suffering. It's just like you're paying your debt faster. Your mortgage, your mortgage amortization is faster. Instead of letting your mortgage amortization for 50 years, you make it five years. But during the five years, you, of course, you suffer more. But you lessen your suffering time. You understand? So, yeah. All right. Any more questions? Master, yeah. Last time you quoted something very good. That is, just imagine we 
Yeah. 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 Yes, be steady and let the clouds go by. But be steady and the, and, and the cloud of suppression, don't let it hit your heart. Oh, that's a good example. Because if you have that mind, your suffering will be less agonizing. Yeah. What about having loving, healthy boundaries? There's another way of treating it. Yes, you, you, you're extending your love. You know what I mean? You're extending your love. You're giving more. Oh, yeah, that can change it. That can change it, yes. Yeah. yeah, it's the same as repaying. If you're extending your love, the more he hits you, the more he criticizes you, you're extending your love, that means you're paying more, faster. Yeah, that's another way of dealing with it. All right, so that's, that's it for today. Unless you have any other questions, and thank you for coming, um, and uh, we'll see you next time.